This episode contains themes of gun violence, drunk driving, and death. If you'd rather not hear about that, we understand and still love you. But as usual, we'll be back again in two weeks with another story. Audrey Corley's engagement party was a big public event at her bar. You know, the engagement party was pretty funny. It just went on the internet at the time, which was MySpace, I want to say. We made a flyer, I told my guy, my flyer guy to make a flyer, and it just blew up from there. (laughs) Audrey owns Boycott Bar in Phoenix, Arizona. The bar hadn't been getting much business when Audrey started planning the party. And I was like, we need a new promo for the bar because it's been a a couple weeks been slow. And me and my friend, we were at lunch just kind of goofing around. She's like, you know, that would be hilarious if you pull it off. She's like, don't tell your staff, don't tell anyone. I was like, well, you know what? Let's do it. I need some fun. So Audrey wasn't actually engaged, but she spent the next two weeks hyping up her friends and patrons for the big fiancé reveal. I'm not really dishonest, so it was it was kind of a hard joke to play at first because I didn't think anyone, I thought we would just put it out there and people would be like, what? Audrey's getting married and show up to see who? But for the two weeks leading up to it, it was a lot of quick. My staff just couldn't stop. My team at the time was like, oh, no, what is this all about? So I never thought my my staff would believe it, you know. But everyone did believe it, though they were extremely confused. And she wouldn't even tell us who she was engaged to. We're like, who are you engaged to? What the hell? And uh, she was like, it's a surprise, a surprise. You'll meet her, you'll meet her. And we're like, what? This is Nick Ennis, one of Audrey's bartenders and close friends. And we're like, what the hell? Audrey's getting married. We don't even know who the girl is. It's probably an internet bride. And I'm telling you, we racked our brains trying to figure it out. Nick and the rest of the staff were desperate to know who Audrey was marrying. But they only had one realistic guess. We were just like, Audrey, literally, like, you just broke up on Melissa. All you could be with is Melissa. And she's like, it's not Melissa. And we're like, who the hell else could it be? Like, this is wild. Melissa is Audrey's ex. They had been off and on for the past a year or so. Oh, God, she she was fun. She was that amazing. She could dance. She could speak Spanish. She was everything. And Melissa was beautiful. She was African-American and Latina in uh, Mexican. And she just, when she walked in the room, she owned it. She had that type of energy. When they first got together, Melissa was the one that made the first move. She was the type that got what she wanted, let's just say that. Nick actually already knew Melissa from college. So by the time her and Audrey started dating, I'm like, freaking Melissa? And, you know, she was like, oh, shit. And, you know, she Melissa was two handfuls, probably. But she, overall, her heart, her, her mind, they were all in the right place. But through Audrey, Nick and Melissa became good friends. She used to get me off of work at 1 o'clock in the morning, every morning, that she showed up at the bar. And she would just say, one o'clock BFF. And I'd be like, one o'clock BFF. And Audrey's like, no, you don't, you don't get to just get off of work. And I'm like, but Melissa said one o'clock. And because they were dating at the time, Melissa could probably get away with anything. So, of course, I'd get off work at one o'clock with her. And we would start drinking and having a good time. And, and she was just, Melissa was, Melissa was Melissa. And the truth was, Melissa was the main reason Audrey wanted to throw this whole fake party. To give, get her back? Yes, yes, definitely. (laughs) But uh, I didn't think it would work that well. She hoped it would make Melissa jealous and get her to show up at the bar. The whole thing was kind of to get Melissa to come in. 
And it worked because Melissa's like, well, who the hell are you marrying? <laughs> she showed up pretty mad. Let's just say that. So that night, everyone arrives. Melissa is fuming, and they're all looking around for Audrey's fiancé. The end of the night, I was just like, I guess you all want to see who I'm getting engaged to. And then I'm like, I'm engaged to the bar. Eventually, she just kind of made the announcement. She's like, yep, I'm married to my bar. And everyone just, like, cracked up. They had a a great time. It was a blast. It was a freaking blast. And it was, like, one of the best promotions in the world. It was genius. Audrey's plan had worked on all accounts. There was a huge crowd at the bar that night. All of her friends were dumbfounded. And Melissa? They were cool for a while after that, but, you know, Melissa always cared about Audrey and, and vice versa, so... She was coming back to claim what she said was hers, <laughs> which was me, for about a week or two. <laughs> that was it. But even if her relationship with Melissa was fleeting, Audrey's still pretty emotionally committed to Boycott Bar. That part wasn't a total lie. I, I was engaged to it. I was, <laughs> uh, actually, the woman I'm dating now calls it my wife, so it's pretty much... <laughs> it's, my, it's my true love, definitely. Boycott's always been a love of mine since it started. This is Cruising, a podcast about the last lesbian bars in the U.S. My name is Sarah Gabrielli, and I'm traveling to each one of them with my two friends and chosen family. This is stop number 11, Boycott Bar. Nick is one of Boycott Bar's longest-standing bartenders. But her dream has always been to work in medicine. Well, my mom's been a nurse for, I don't know how many years, 40-plus years. And uh, she started in New Jersey. And like the, just the stories that she told me from working in the hospitals, and I was just always so intrigued. And of course Nick wanted to be just like her mom. So she started seeing some patients of her own. When I was little, I just wanted to like, quote unquote, like do surgeries on like my stuffed animals. I wanted, I always thought someone was sick. I need to take care of them. I, I always thought my stuffed animals had a fever. And the only thing I could do was take their tonsils out. And she would explain to me like, no, if they have a fever, you have to like break it down. And she would go through the steps with me. Okay, what does a fever mean? What could cause it? That's kind of what it stemmed from is we would go through the process through the steps and you got to figure out what's causing the problem. Like, you have to go through the options, and you got to figure it out to get the solution. So, I like that. Nick ended up going to undergrad for psychology and later getting her EMT degree. I kind of do it all. I'm like Barbie over here. (laughs) But Nick has never actually worked as an EMT because she's been working as a pharmacy tech. So, while I was doing pharmacy, I was going to school for my EMT. And then um, I just never got to make the transition because I was getting in so deep with pharmacy. And I always made it a plan that I was going to start working and that I was going to leave the pharmacy. But it just never happened that way. So, But Nick still thinks about becoming an EMT. I know I can always go back to it. That is actually my true passion. Um, but I eventually want to go back and, and redo my EMT and probably do that to kind of like finish out, you know. Because while Nick enjoys working at the pharmacy... Helping people in a more hands-on way is her true passion. I want to, you know, save people. That's kind of like my thing. If anything ever happens here, if someone 
gets hurt, if there's an issue, something medical, I'm the first one that they call. I'm on the scene. Like, I just, I, I thrive off of it. Nick still works at the pharmacy nine to five, five days a week. But she's also busy with her other job at Boycott Bar. That's where we met her. And at Boycott, as Nick mentioned, she's sort of fallen into the role of resident medic. I usually am the go-to person if anyone ever gets hurt, something's wrong. I'm kind of that person. There aren't often medical emergencies at Boycott Bar. But it's always good to have a trained EMT around, just in case something comes up. Here we've had little minor things. Um, piece of glass slash someone's foot. We had to take care of that. We had a guy have a seizure outside. The girl that sliced her foot open, it was more just like holding the wound. Um, we tried to clean it a little bit. We tried to wrap it. Um, we told her, to, told her friends to get her to the hospital. It was pretty deep gas. She, she really needed stitches and she was fighting us because she was intoxicated. And those are kind of the hardest things to deal with because in this business, people don't really get what's going on and we're all, you know, sober and we're trying to help you. But when you're intoxicated, your brain's not all the way there. So that's kind of like the hard battle. Nick was a teenager when she first met the owner of Boycott Bar, Audrey. She recruited me out of high school to play basketball in college. She's my basketball coach. So right after I finished playing, I kind of just started working and I kind of worked my way up from door person. I've done security, bar backing, bartending, kind of just done it all. That's crazy that she's essentially been your like leader for mm-hmm. so long. For half of my life, I will say she's literally been in my life. Yeah. Yeah, she's one of my best friends, so. But Audrey's impact on Nick's life all started on the basketball court. She's an awesome coach. She's a very motivational person. Um, and I think that was like her biggest role in our lives, along with conditioning. So she killed us for sure with, with running. But I will say that it was also discipline. It was also teamwork. It was, it was everything that we incorporate here at the bar is kind of what I've always grown up with. Teamwork. You know, making sure everyone's good, you don't leave anyone behind, so. Audrey's leadership style is tough, but effective. I mean, she she ran us for a solid hour straight. I think we all pretty much hated her at the end of it, but in the long run, it was probably one of the best things because it brought us all together, and I think that was kind of her main thing. It was around this time that Nick started discovering her sexuality, and it definitely helped having coaches and mentors who were openly gay. Yeah, she was very much comfortable. She knows who she is. She's always known who she is. And she's, she's a very strong female. And she rocks the shit out of it, you know? And she's always been a very strong woman. And I think that was, like, the big thing. Audrey also came out after joining her college basketball team. After college basketball, you know, that always helps you come out. There's nowhere, like, a, you don't find a bunch of lesbians until you hit the college basketball team, you know? So... It was kind of where I felt free to come out, and that's what helped me. I met a bunch of beautiful people that were my teammates, and then I came out. I should probably mention here that we interviewed Audrey on two separate occasions. Once when the room was quiet, and once when it was not. Right now, she's at Boycott Bar, which is right off of a noisy street. After college, Audrey stuck with basketball. She worked as a coach from 1999 until 2012. But I thought I was going to be a college basketball coach forever, to be honest with you. But she had started bartending a few years before that even, in 1993. I was 18. I walked into a bar looking for a job. Actually, it was a restaurant, looking for a job, trying to be like a hostess. And he's like, I don't need a hostess, I need a bartender. And I said, well, never bartending. He goes, well, I need one today. And I was like, 
he's like, and you're here. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to start working. <laughs> Got behind his bar, and ever since, that's where I've been. So Audrey bartended on the side through college, and all while she coached basketball. In 2004, she started running a bi-weekly women's pop-up party that would eventually grow into what Boycott Bar is today. That's what, you're taking me way back now. So about 17 years ago, I started Boycott as like a Roman party. We kind of started because there was a demand for like a more upscale event for women at that time. So we started like twice a month in different locations. At the time, she'd been managing one of the other Phoenix gay bars. And I was like, I'll just go start my own thing. That's kind of how Boycott came about. And then I always ran bars, but uh, I wanted something for my own self. Audrey spent months promoting and planning the first party. She started by handing out little business cards with the deets. But first, she had to find a venue. Doing it, I found a location in a restaurant that was kind of struggling. He needed business. And I went in and I told him, I'll bring you a bunch of business on a Saturday night if you let me do this. And he's like, well, I need someone to help me run my bar. Will you bartend for me? And at that time, I was like, okay, that's fine. You let me bring all my staff. I'll bartend. So I started bartending a couple of nights for him at his bar, and then in return on Saturday nights, I got to do this event, Boycott. And then we did it there for, I want to say, like two and a half years in that location. When the owner of that bar decided to sell, Audrey found another location in the area for her parties. It was called The Vibe. This is around when Nick got her first job with Audrey, working the pop-up parties at The Vibe. Nick was 19 then, and she'd just finished the two-year college where she'd been playing basketball for Audrey. Audrey was no longer her coach, so she could now officially become Nick's boss. She was short-staffed, and I'm a very reliable person, and I think she knew that from coaching me and the type of person I am. And so she, you know, just like, oh, I need someone. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever, I can sit and ID people or whatever it was she had me do that first night. And then from there, it just literally grew and grew and grew and... Here we are, like, 10-plus years later. Nick found that Audrey's coaching style also translated to running a bar. Her main thing is the five Ps, so proper planning prevents poor performance. Basically, I'm on, so now I need to set everything up. i got to count the drawer, set my beer up, my ice, make sure my fruit is cut, everything's ready, so that when we do get this big rush of people that come in, we're prepared. We're not sitting like, oh, crap, we don't have this or that. We're ready to go. And that's something that she teaches everybody when they come in. So it's a good, it was a good learning tool from then even to now. Today, Nick and Audrey are incredibly close friends and colleagues. When we visited, they were both bartending, working as a cohesive team and weaving around each other behind their big U-shaped bar area. They even have matching bartender-themed tattoos, which they showed us between mixing drinks. Well, someone said that Nikki wasn't a real bartender, and I was like, well, you're not a real bartender until you get a tattoo. So we went and got a damn tattoo. That's our tats. Not that you can see it, we tried to show you, but... It's a shaker, a measuring device... With a heartbeat. And a martini glass, and it's got a heartbeat through it. And we got matching tattoos. Did you say a measuring device? Yeah, because I don't want to say a jigger. It is a jigger. Now but you I sound like a, not a real bartender. I am a real bartender, but I don't want, it's loud. I don't want it's people, a jigger. I don't want people to not hear me right. The bar is at the back of the large dance floor when you first walk into Boycott. There are high-top tables and chairs around the edges of the room and larger-than-life portraits of Audrey Hepburn and Marilyn Monroe on the walls. We have, it's, we wanted to fill this place with strong women. 
If you keep walking to the right of the bar, past the jukebox, there's a side room where people hang out, play pool, and smoke. Thanks to the big grated windows along the front wall, there's lots of airflow. We knew we wanted this to be like a game room, so it's like a smoke room, game room. All of the other walls in the side room have been covered with chalkboard paint, decorated with drawings and notes from patrons making their mark on the place. And so we're like, all right, well, let's do something fun. So we we bought the, the chalk paint and we did everything. And this is all during when we first, first got it. And Audrey and Boycott Bar took over this spot in Melrose back in 2017. But the building itself has been a lesbian bar for as long as people can remember. Here's Nick again. I, I mean, people will come into this day and be like, oh, I remember when it used to be so-and-so and so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know what those ones are. Like, I know like the last, I would say maybe five, four or five. But I mean, this, this dates back, God, over 10 years, 15 years. People come in and, and they just tell me, oh, I remember when it was this. And I'm like, that's awesome. But in between the boycott pop-up parties and opening this permanent boycott bar in 2017... Audrey took a break from queer nightlife. And that's because of Melissa. Remember the woman Audrey tried to win back with her fake engagement party? In 2011, Melissa was killed by a drunk driver. It's all difficult to relive, but Audrey and Nick both believe it's important to talk about. I always say the more we can educate people on drinking and driving, the better. Turn her new girlfriend, uh, they were headed to work, and a drunk driver at 444, 4.45 uh, on the freeway was going the wrong way and crashed into them, and they both died. So I remember kind of waking up randomly at like 6 in the morning, and I turned on my TV. And I saw that there was a car accident, and in my brain... I was like, oh, man, someone's life's totally changing. And I just kind of went back to sleep. And I thought, now I think it's one of the weirdest things in the world. At the time, it just happened. And I woke up, I don't know how many missed calls. And so I start calling all these people back. I'm like, yo, what's going on? And they're like, Melissa, Melissa. I was like, what about Melissa? And they're like, is it true? And I'm like, what is what true? Like, I don't even know what's going on. And then people start telling me. So as soon as like I start hearing it from multiple people, I instantly call Audrey. And she was already on her way to the hospital. And I was like, Jesus Christ, it's true. Like, I can't believe it. All I could do, I jumped in the shower and I just, I just drove to try and go find her because I knew this was going to really mess her up. At the time of her death, Melissa had a two-year-old son. Well, he's lives with his father now. He's 13 now. <laughs> and even though Audrey and Melissa were no longer together, Audrey was still a very active part of Melissa's son's life. We're bleeping its name because, as Audrey said, he's only 13. You know, the only thing I can say that was always consistent with us was and the love I had for She knew that I was always going to take care of and help out, and I adored him. Audrey still remembers the first time she met Melissa's son. They just started dating, and he was a baby, around seven months old. We were setting up for an event at Boycott, the one we did at a Vibe. And uh, she walked in and was like, I got something to show you. And I was thinking maybe it was like a new pair of shoes or something, you know. And she was like, here's my son. I took him and I, I walked around and introduced him to the my staff at the time. And that was it. I was in love at first sight, you know. Audrey says getting to be in Melissa's son's life, even for a limited period of time, was a game changer for her. 
I was, uh, my best friend always says I was rolling around with bottles of liquor in my car. And then after I met him, it was car seats and baby bottles in my Tahoe. So since that day I met him, I was in his life until she passed. When Melissa passed, one of the most difficult parts for Audrey was that she lost her son as well. Her ex-husband never let me be active in his life again after that, so I never got to see him again. Well, that's probably the hardest part uh, because, you know, uh, our community lost two that day, two people, and I lost three, you know? It does change your life, you know, being like a mother figure and then not being anymore is very uh, drastic. You know, everyone's like, it gets easier with time, but it doesn't really get easier. You just learn to handle it different. And here's how Audrey has handled this tragedy. Ever since Melissa's passing, she's done everything in her power to prevent drunk driving. I take it real personal because, you know, I mean, I am directly impacted. You'll never forget that phone call when you get that phone call that you lost someone you loved, you know. The gentleman who killed him, he was a young kid, too. He ruined his life because I think he's in prison now for 34 years, 30 years or something like that. And you think about it like everyone thinks, oh, it's not going to happen. We're going to go out and we're going to drink and it's going to be fun and it can't happen to me. But... It really does happen to everybody once you take that. You go out there and you drink and drive, you put everybody in danger. You put yourself, you put the community. Audrey has a larger purpose now. More than serving drinks and meeting new people, and even larger than nurturing her team and community at Boycott. More of a moral issue for me because it does hit home, you know? So I think that's why I'm in this business, to be honest. (laughs) And Audrey's staff has her back on this. They knew Melissa too. It's not exactly part of their training, but... It might as well be. Here's Nick. I think that was just a big turning point for all of us to to really be advocates about drinking and driving. And it is so hard being in this business because that's what we do. We give you alcohol. And then at a certain point, you do have to go home. But I think because of that, we just we desperately try to make sure everyone is okay as best as we can. And how do they do that? For one, Audrey and her staff pay close attention to how much patrons are drinking. But our first policy is, you know, we slow them down, cut them off. I mean, our job is to get you drunk in a sense, you know. But if we know you're too drunk, not only will we call you an Uber ourselves, I don't know how many charges I have on my phone alone, paying for people's Ubers so they get home, but we'll take you home. We'll, one person will drive, the, another person will follow, and we'll make sure that you get home. Nick and Audrey have story after story of getting people home safely. Too many to count. There was a, an elderly guy maybe three weeks ago, a month ago, and he just he was not with it at all. And we sat outside with him. We called him an Uber. We, we offered to drive him home. He really couldn't tell us, and we finally got an address out of him. And we paid for an Uber. We waited outside with him. And, you know, we made sure he got in the car. He had a mask. He was good. He got to go home. But there's been plenty of times where Audrey will just be like, Nick, get in your car. I'll drive. Follow me. And we just do it. And wherever it is, it kind of is. Sometimes it's like, crap, we got to drive all the way over here. But if it means not losing a human, a soul to something so horrific as drinking and driving, then we're about it. But it's not always easy to stop a drunk person from getting behind the wheel. You can be dealing with a calm, cool, collected person who automatically goes crazy on you. And you're not, you got to be willing to handle it. So, I mean, that's just how it goes. It's very situational, each situation, to be honest. At the end of the day, though, it's worth whatever shit a drunken patron might throw at them. You know, it's just, it's a safety thing. It's a, a caring thing. We just always want to make sure people are okay. And I think that's what makes this staff just so freaking cool is that we 
like genuinely care about these people. Even if you come and you yell at me, I'm like, okay, whatever. I know you're intoxicated. You're going to forget about it tomorrow, but I'm still going to make sure that you're good now. Many people are actually quite grateful to have someone looking out for them and often surprised. And so many people are like, even when we take them home, they're like, are you, you're really taking us home? And we're like, yeah, we're really taking you home. And uh, they, they're just so appreciative. It's wild. Like that the, the staff took me home, the owner took me home and they just, they can't believe it sometimes, but we'll do it for anybody. We don't care. It just is, if we're the ones who are serving you and you know, we're doing this, we're also gonna make sure that you're gonna get home. You have family, kids, we don't know, but we want you to get home safe. In fact, multiple people we talked to at Boycott confirmed they've seen the staff do this or they've received this kind of treatment themselves. Take Sir Nate, a regular customer and drag king at the bar. Audrey has taken him home twice. So there was a night where I was a tad bit intoxicated and she took me home um, and made sure I was safe. Um, There was another time where my uh, Uber kept canceling and she was like literally lives right behind the bar, but she was on her way somewhere in my direction and was like, hey, I'll take you. No, no problem. And so, yeah, so then she dropped me home then. The next day when I realized that I made it home safely and how I made it home safely, I was extremely grateful. And there's been multiple times that I've witnessed her, not myself, but witnessed her um, give a ride home to other people. This is the type of person that not only bar owner that I want to represent, but this is the type of person I want to be friends with. But remember I mentioned Audrey took a break from boycott for a few years? After Melissa's accident, Audrey fell into a depression. I wanted to kind of step out of the gay scene for a little while and just take a break. At the time, Audrey had been running the boycott pop-up parties out of the vibe. She's still not exactly sure why she needed a break from that. But she knew she needed a change. I just know I wasn't in a good place emotionally. And I tried to dive into work because, you know, opening a bar and a a new business, that's always a challenge. So I think I needed a challenge that wasn't necessarily in, in, in the scene, in that environment, you know. But definitely, yes, definitely I was trying to get away from something. So Audrey took on a pretty lofty challenge. She bought a straight bar in Glendale. It was called Sevens. Glendale, Arizona wasn't the nicest area I wanted to be in, or for a gay woman, let's just say that. It wasn't the area you really wanted to be in. It was a not real desirable location, and I was like, oh, kind of punishing myself for a little while kind of type of thing. In Glendale, Audrey dealt with some threats and harassment, the kind of homophobia you didn't see back in Melrose. Uh, I mean, one time I had a guy, he uh, kind of threatened my life. <laughs> he was a kind of a, he was a gay phobe, you know, and he was a, I think he just hated himself, to be honest, and he kind of threatened my life. That was probably the first year I was there. At first, the threats were just verbal. But he came by the bar multiple times, to the point that Audrey's staff recognized his car. And then... You know, he came back one time and pulled out a gun on me. Fortunately, Audrey's staff was there to protect her. He came by there again. This was the last time when he came with the gun, but one of my guys followed him, so we found out where he lived. And then once we found out where he lived, that kind of changed the game. He didn't really come back ever again to bother me. As she always did, Nick had stayed on staff and followed Audrey to this new location. It was here that Nick's EMT training became most essential. 
One day, there was a shooting outside of Sevens on the sidewalk. I was the only one inside at the time, and they came running, and they were like, oh, you got to help, you got to help. I grabbed a bunch of our bar towels, and I, he basically got shot um, this, the front of his chest, and then it came out the back. So compression, we tried to, we wanted to do CPR. In the area that we were at, the cops weren't having it because it was very gang related and so unfortunately sometimes the cops aren't as nice as they should be not all of them but this guy in, in particular he was not helping us at all they in fact like pulled us off at the guy and we're like no we need to, we need to like do something we need to do CPR and he's like no no wait for the EMTs to this day Nick gets upset when she thinks about this how she could have done more to save him but the cops wouldn't let her i mean literally like uh, like a guy picked me up off of this this guy, and I'm like, try, like, no, no, I gotta help him. Minutes later, when the medics showed up... They were, the medics were mad that we weren't doing anything, and we're like, <laughs> we tried. But it was too late. The only thing positive that I can say is that at least that man didn't die alone. We were there, we were with him, and it was just a weird time. It was an alarming experience and one that bonded Nick and her co-workers even further. We were out there for, geez, I don't know how many hours afterwards, and uh, just sitting there and thinking. And, and it, was, it was a very traumatizing moment for all of us. I mean, I've helped many people sick, hurt, all of that, but to see someone die is a whole nother experience. And I think things like that also make us tighter as a family. We watch each other's back. We take care of each other. We don't walk out without someone else walking us out. We're very cautious. Eventually, after seven years at the bar in Glendale, Audrey was ready to get back to the lesbian bar business. But she still credits her experience at the straight bar, however rocky, with preparing her to finally move Boycott into its permanent home. And like I always said, what I thought was my curse turned out to be my blessing. That's what changed the game for me. That's when I got the opportunity to buy the bar and become an owner. So that's what I did. Kind of led me to where I was supposed to be. As Nick mentioned, this spot has been home to many a lesbian bar before boycott. But the most recent iteration had just closed down. And the previous owners that have kind of ran it for a long time in the community. And... Rhonda called me up, or Shar, I can't remember who it was, and was like, hey, the bar is open. And I was like, you know, let's just go where your heart is. And it's always been in the community. But Audrey says, in some ways, the experience of running Boycott is really not so different from running Sevens. It's all people. Once you know how to deal with people and you value people, you know how to treat people, that's really what it comes down to. There really is no difference. It's pretty much the same except for I have more women to pick out of now. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I have have a better dating pool. No, I'm just kidding. It's just more women. There's more women now. We're more women to century. We probably have about a 60% women clientele right now. And the other 40%? I think we get great support and everyone that comes through, guys, girls, gay, straight, everyone. Everyone's so supportive and, and it's huge. But I think it has a lot to do with how we are with people. We make this place a home for you. The gay world, the straight world. We all want to be the same, don't we, when it's all said and done? We all want to be supported and accepted. And we saw this firsthand when we were in town. We were looking for regulars to talk to. And Audrey pointed us in the direction of Bonnie. And I'm not a lesbian. So 
I'm just an old lady that comes here with my kids. Really? Yeah, I love Audrey, I love Nick, all of them. We always have fun here. You'd never guess this from meeting her, but Bonnie is a librarian. Oh, it's the best job ever. Oh, I love it. I'm a book nerd. Always have been. I love my books. I get to be with my books all day. I was at the library this morning, but I had to change out of my library lady clothes so I could come to the bar. Bonnie had changed into leggings and a long black shirt with white and gold letters. Oh, my shirt says save water, drink tequila. And what, what was your library shirt? Um, Reed. Phoenix, Phoenix Reed. Oh, and this shirt I have to tell you I got from my mother, who will be 73 next month. She first came to boycott three years ago for her daughter-in-law's birthday. Either that or it was her friend's sister-in-law's bachelorette party. <laughs> Depends when you ask her. But whichever in-law introduced Bonnie to Boycott Bar, she just fell in love with I, the environment. I don't, it's like being at the bar with my friends. And here you just, I don't know, everybody wants to be friends. You're perfect strangers and you're friends. In fact, Bonnie liked Boycott so much, she started bringing her whole family. We used to come twice a month at least, since the pandemic, you know. So my son comes here. He's also straight. We're here tonight for his wife's birthday. This is my sister. That's my son. He gave, yeah, um, not, not, not that hottie right there, no. In there, that's all my kids. It's a long-standing tradition in Bonnie's family to go out to bars together. My mom still goes out with us. My mom is 72 and comes in here and shakes her booty. Her mom's the one that started this whole tradition. Bonnie was nine, and her mom would take her out to this karaoke bar. Well, you're, you pro- you're not old enough to remember Mr. Lucky's. A very long time ago on Friday nights, you could bring the family. And my mom would take us. And you could go up and sing with Jay David and the band and... That's what we did on Friday night. So you, could, you were able to be under 21? Yeah, I was like 9 or 10 when we started going. And why do you think your mom started doing that sort of thing? We're dancers and singers in my family. And Irish. Bonnie's mom has always been accepting of the gay community. When I was 8th grade, my mom had friends that she had brought home. And um, one was a drag queen and his boyfriend, and two lesbian girls, and they were our family. You know, she's a product of the 60s, I don't know. And I tell everybody I'm just like my grandpa, and Jesus, I love everybody. And one of Bonnie's sisters is gay. When my sister was 14, she walked in and said to my mom, I'm gay, deal with it. And my mom said, it's about time you told us. This isn't the sister Bonnie introduced me to earlier. Pretty much everyone in their little group clarified they were straight. Bonnie had about half of her kids with her at the bar that night. She has six biological children and has also taken in a family of seven as her adopted children. They all became close family friends about 17 years ago. And their dad was very sick, and before he passed away, he said, you'll take care of my babies, right? And I said, yes, so they're mine. So six kids of his and... They were all between the ages of 9 and 20. And we're still together. I didn't, like, officially adopt them, just, you know. Pretty much Bonnie's whole family knows Audrey at this point. And some of Bonnie's fondest memories at Boycott involve them, well, 
We'll just call it teasing Audrey. My son loves to give lap dances on birthdays. Like before the night's over, if you see, he'll be giving one to his wife. And he's pretty good at it for a short, fat fat guy. (laughs) And for Audrey's birthday, he gave her a lap dance. And it was the cutest thing. And she, she waited it out. And then finally she said, okay, Cody, I need a girl now. Oh my, I have another good memory with Audrey okay. from her same birthday. I flashed her. Got a good rack for an old lady. Yeah, she does. <laughs> While Bonnie and her crew always have a DD planned, they have witnessed Audrey in action offering rides to patrons. Um, and she always asks us, when it's closing time, she's out here. And she's always asking us, how y'all getting home? Mama, how you getting home? But as much as Audrey and her team try to keep people safe, offering rides and calling cabs, there's only so much they can do. I'll let Audrey and Nick tell you the story. Last year, I had a situation with a gentleman. His name was Mike. He was one of our regulars. It was like a Sunday. It was karaoke and a guy who always comes in. And he was drinking. He was cool. He was cool. And he got too intoxicated. And I cut him off and it was time for him to go. And he got mad called me all these names. He actually even physically pushed me. So I told my security guy to flatten his tires. So we flattened his tires. And she was like, hey man, you can't, you can't drive. Like you just can't. And he was like, no, I'm gonna go. And she was like, okay. She was like, you can try. And they let the air out of his tire. Like you can't drive now, now you can't. Finally he leaves. He lets my karaoke guy take him home. And then we have, there's like a, a tire shop garage across the street from us and we had the the tire filled back up you know when you're not we're not popping any tires just letting the air out a few days later a young woman came by the bar looking for audrey like hey there's the owner here and i i'm like yeah she goes you know my dad i'm like oh who's your dad and she tells me it's mike and she said you know i just want to thank you for you know take care of my dad that night he was intoxicated and she was like sometimes you just you just feel it that people shouldn't be driving you know and everyone thinks like I've only oh, I've had one or two you know it's not that big a deal but sometimes it is that big of a deal and she goes yeah thank you for that um she'll I came to tell you that he went out last night to another bar got drunk and ended up killing himself in a car accident so you know, two days before, I knew that he was going to end up killing someone or himself, and we were able to stop him. And you can't always do that. But two days later, he went out and did the same thing and ended up getting killed. It was heartbreaking for their community to have lost another soul to drunk driving, for Audrey to think about seeing him just days before. And of course, this woman had lost her dad. But if anything, this tragedy reassured Audrey that she was doing the right thing. I'm not able to protect everybody, but the ones I have, I'm sure, you know, you'd be surprised how many people I've driven home from this place. For this place, I had to take someone home one time was at my other bar in Glendale. It was literally like I had to drive them from Glendale to Apache Junction, which was like 45 miles. At least they got home safe and I felt better, but I knew I knew someone wasn't getting that phone call, you know. And Audrey's confident that Melissa's and Mike's deaths have not been in vain, that every night, her and her staff are saving lives more than anyone will ever know. I guarantee you it has because people have came back and told me and they've thanked me and they've done all sorts of things. And if, if we save one life in her honor and Melissa's honor and Greasy's, then we're doing what's right, you know, and that way their, ne- their death was never in vain. 
Cruising is reported and produced by Rachel Carp, Jen McGinnity, and me, Sarah Gabrielli. Our theme song is by Joey Freeman. Follow us along on our road trip and see pictures at our website, cruisingpod.com, or follow us on social media at cruisingpod. If you like cruising, want to support us, and get access to more content, then join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cruisingpod. Special thanks this week to Audrey, Nick, Bonnie, and Sir Nate, in memory of Melissa and Mike. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. 